Well, good morning. It's great to have you all here. Super Bowl Sunday is awesome having the athletes. We appreciate them coming uh, so much. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on the athletes, not only for them personally, but as a team and also for the, for the coaches. And, you know, I was telling them in the first service that the book of Philippians is such an awesome book. Uh, it's filled, it's just a delightful book, and it's filled with praise and confidence and rejoicing. And yet at the same time, it is a prison epistle. So you would think that those two things wouldn't go together. And yet the Apostle Paul, when he writes, he writes this letter, and the letter goes to the church at Philippi. Uh, Philippensis is the, the term for it. Julia Augusta uh, Philippensis. I'm glad they just decided to go by Philippi. But uh, <laughs> so they write this letter, and uh, the letter was written to the church, and it went to this lady's home, Lydia, the seller of purple goods, one who dyed garments for royalty and for wealth. And she was a person who trusted Christ, and now the church is meeting in her home. It's such a wonderful letter for encouragement to any downcast, any discouraged person, anybody going through trials or tribulations. And it tells us how Jesus can help us uh, cope with all the different kinds of problems in life. And they face a number of different kinds of problems at the Church of Philippi. And uh, this passage that we're going to look at, it's the very end of uh, the epistle to the church at Philippi, the Philippians. So if you have your Bible, you might want to open up to the, to the book of Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that's right there. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. It follows a key verse that uh, Pastor Doug covered last week. And I would call it maybe Paul's life verse, his theme verse. And, and he begins by saying... Uh, he just wants Christ to be honored in his body, and then he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is game. Well, in this passage, what Paul is saying is that the life of Jesus Christ is not only manifested to the world through our lips, uh, but the life of Jesus Christ is also manifested to the world around us through our very lives, so that if people look at a child of God, they see not just an individual, but they see what Jesus would look like dressed in the clothes that that person has on. So what I want to do today is, is look at some of the fruit that comes out. If our, the roots of our spiritual life are grounded in Jesus Christ, then the fruit that's going to come out of that deeply rooted life is really the subject of uh, verses 27 uh, to 40, some fruit manifestations, uh, so to speak. Now, let me just warn you ahead of time, what the Apostle Paul does in this book of Philippians, he also does it in some of his other epistles as well. He will use terminology, especially at Philippi, that are words that his people, the people at Philippi, would really understand. Again, it's a Roman garrison. 75% uh, of the people at Philippi are Roman soldiers. So he uses terms like it was very prized uh, to be a citizen of Rome. I mean, they, it was a very honored position. So he uses words like citizenship. He uses words like uh, a soldier, being a, a soldier, or, or being an athlete. So he'll use a lot of these different terms that really connected with his audience. In the same way, uh, the, the book of Philippians will refer to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he talked to Timothy, sharing the sufferings as a good, and he called him a soldier of Christ Jesus. And he says, no soldier will ever get himself entangled in civilian pursuits. And uh, 
So he makes these same kind of allusions in the book of Philippians as well. And so when you and I become a believer in Jesus Christ, we are, we're recruited, so, so to speak, into a new citizenship. We are now citizens of heaven that the Apostle Paul will talk about. We are literally an, an athlete on God's team. We are a warrior in God's army. He'll actually, in the very next chapter, call Epaphroditus a soldier for Christ. So he uses these terms very, very frequently. So our cues then really come from our commanding officer. Our commanding officer is Jesus Christ. Our operating manual is the Bible. Our marching orders would be the Great Commission. Our hope and inspiration is the gospel, and our message that we would send out to the world would be the good news. And it's easy in this kind of a situation to get sidetracked. And this is what, again, Paul urges Timothy, you know, whatever you look, if you're, a, if you're a soldier of Jesus Christ, don't get entangled in all these things that take you away from the ultimate mission. Um, not that they're wrong, not that they're bad, but it's not your ultimate mission. So if we're going to live lives that adorn the gospel, if they're going to be the fruit of the gospel, then there are a number of things that we must do. And so he appeals throughout this book for the church to be unified. He says, number one, first of all, and this is what we saw in the first part of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, we need to be united in our mission as partners of the gospel. And so we saw in the beginning of chapter 1 that we are called together as partners in the gospel, verse 5. We are called together to defend the gospel in verse 7. And, and Paul commends the church at Philippi for their defense of the gospel. And then he calls us to the proclamation of the gospel in verses 13 to 18. And he again, he congratulated uh, the church at, at Philippi for proclaiming the gospel. So there's a partnership, a defense, and a proclamation of the gospel. And so that we must go forward as a church. And the good news is that Jesus promised us in Matthew 16, 18, when we go forward together united like this, uh, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because he never uses terms like surrender or, or retreat. In our joint chiefs, chiefs of staff uh, operating manual for battle, uh, the words retreat or surrender are not in that section of the manual uh, whatsoever. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul would say uh, too, uh, that we are to be united in our mission. But it's not just united in our mission as a partner in the gospel. We also must be, and this is the point he's getting to in this section, we've got to be united in our conduct like good citizens, not of Rome, but we need to be united in our conduct like citizens of heaven. It's not enough, the Apostle Paul is saying. It's not enough to be a partner in the gospel. It's not enough uh, to, to defend the gospel. It's not enough just to proclaim the gospel. You have to be adorned with the gospel. Your life, if we're going to make a difference for Christ, your life has to be adorned with the very gospel of Christ. And so verse 27, the verse that starts our passage, is the key verse. He says, only, he starts manas, only, this is the only thing, or if you could do only one thing and nothing more, only let your manner of life, or another uh, version would say, let your conduct, and it's actually word, the word politeo, which is the Greek word where we would get a word politics from, but it's the word for citizenship. Only let your citizenship, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
so that, here's the purpose, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here's this, here's this strange word that he's saying. He's saying, look, you're doing a great job partnering in the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, defending the gospel, but that is not enough. If there's one thing, if I'm calling you to, to do one thing, that is, is that your citizenship in heaven, that you would adorn the gospel, that, that you would conduct yourselves in, in a way, exercise your citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That means, the word worthy means weighty. It's, it's, it's the same weight of the gospel. So let me summarize it by saying this. Let your character, he's saying, let your character balance on the scales with the weight of the gospel. Be careful not to let the gospel outweigh your character. Now that, this is a very key point. It's the second time he's made this point in, in a different way. He said it before, before his, his thematic verse. He said, um, I want Christ to be honored in my body, magnified and exalted in me. The way I live, I want Christ to be magnified. Here he's saying, let your char character balance on the scales. Be worthy of the gospel. Don't let the gospel outweigh your character. Now, I know a lot of times we say this. We say, look, Jesus, Jesus saves us. It's his grace. We're all sinners. Yes, yes, yes. We all are sinners, saved by grace. But are we to be saved by grace and then just to remain in that state? We are challenged to change on a day-by-day -day basis to become more and more. That's the process of sanctification. This whole section of Philippians is sanctification. We're to become more like him as we depend on the Holy Spirit, more and more like him. Paul is begging us. He's saying, look, if there's only one thing you take away, let your manner of life be weighty with the gospel. Don't let the gospel outweigh what you look like in life. Because if it does, it's going to destroy the, the impact of the message. And a lot of times we'll say this, well, I'm just a sinner, I'm horrible, and all that stuff. And, and yes, salvifically, yes, you are. This teeniest little sin will um, put you in need of Christ, of a Savior. But think how many times people will look at other people's lives and go, huh, they call themselves a Christian. Look at the way they're living. Look at this. Paul says, don't give people excuses like that. Your manner of life should be worthy, weighty of the gospel of Christ. And uh, so that's, that is a key, key uh, statement. Uh, make evident in your fruit what is true in your roots. And that will be, people will see the gospel of Christ accurately displayed through a, a living testimony, a living witness. So we need to behave as citizens of heaven, united in our mission, clearly as partners of the gospel. Partnering, defending, proclaiming, absolutely. But also, we need to be united in our conduct as citizens of heaven. So don't make the mistake of going, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul addressed this very specifically in Romans. Because th their argument was this, well, I'll just continue being a big sinner. Who cares? Why should I change? Because if I'm just a big sinner and, and I don't change, uh, boy, grace, 
Grace is sufficient. It, it just makes Jesus look all that much better. And Paul says, you're deluding yourself. He says, people will say, should I continue in sin that grace might just look better and better and better, that grace might abound? And Paul uses the strongest Greek negative he could possibly use. Meganoito. May it absolutely never be that you say you just continue in sin that, that you might make Jesus look better. So no, he says, you honor Christ in your body. You exalt him. You magnify him. You let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He says, if that's the only thing you do, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Uh, so Paul gave a, a number of different lenses. He says the beauty of this is that when you go through life and you face difficulties, people, will, people can't see Jesus right now, right? You can't. People can just say, well, look at Jesus. Well, where's Jesus? Well, when they look at you, they are looking at Jesus through the lens of who you are. And so Paul has already given three different lenses that people can look at Jesus through his life. In other words, Christ can be magnified. Look, when people try and look at Jesus and they look at your life, either you will magnify Christ or you'll distort Christ. Those are the two options. When people look at you, you'll either magnify who Jesus is or you'll distort who Jesus is. So he says, let's magnify who Christ is. Let's exalt him. Let's honor him in our bodies. So he, uh, Christ can be magnified in my life through the lens of various circumstances. And that was the first part of chapter 1 verses 12 to 14. He could, I'm going to exalt Christ, magnify Christ through the way I, I deal with the circumstances of being in prison, through the circumstances of being shipwrecked, from the circumstances of being in cha chained or facing snakes, whips, stocks, etc. Uh, I, I am here to strike forward, prokoptos is the word, I am here to advance to forward to strike the gospel forward by when I face circumstances, my life, I'm going to do it in a way that my manner of life advances the gospel. Or secondly, another lens would be the lens of criticism. That's verses 15 and 18 in chapter 1. He faced all kinds of criticism. Uh, he faced envy and strife and contention. And the only thing he cared about was that Christ was preached. He said, so it's a wonderful opportunity for me to face crises because I get to picture, I get to honor Christ as people criticize me. Or the third lens would be, I want to magnify Christ through the lens of a crisis. And that's verses 19 and 26 when he's facing death. I, I want Jesus to be magnified. I, I, all I want is that Christ to be honored, magnified, and exalted. And oh yes, by the way, it doesn't have to be negative. It can be something positive as well. The lens of, of praise and worship. You're, that's how the whole book of Acts started. They watched, 120 believers were gathered there, and they were praising God and worshiping, and you had all of these, all of these uh, Jews who had who'd come from all over the, the known world, and they were watching these believers praise and worship God, and it, it, 3,000 of them trusted Christ because they watched them worship and praise God, and they heard them praising God in their own languages. So the functioning body of Christ is a stage for, uh, for witness, for the mission to go forward. And, and nothing will make a better impact is that people will look at Jesus through the lens of your life, 
whether it be circumstance, whether it be good things like worship, whether it be things like tough circumstances or, or criticisms or crises. Um, and I think that the fact of the matter is, a lot of times uh, people will look at an, an evangelist who's an extrovert. And I've known a few evangelists who are extroverts. And, you, and every time you talk to them, they've just led somebody to Christ. I mean, they could talk to a doorknob and the doorknob would just fall off and, and bow down to Jesus. You know, I mean, and you, you tend to look at people like that and put them up on a pedestal and make them super spiritual. But I think what the Bible is saying here that really the greatest impact comes from the total body of Christ when our manner of conduct is worthy of the gospel. And you can have people all over Iowa City looking at Jesus through the lens of what we're going through. So I don't know, what kind of lens are you today? How, how are people looking at Jesus through your life, even if you're going through maybe a very tough course at school? Or maybe facing 30 below zero. <laughs> you know, I didn't face that very good. <laughs> I didn't do a good job there. Um, what about maybe a tough relational time, even divorce or promotions even or blessing? No matter what else happens, behave as a citizen of heaven worthy of the gospel of Christ. You've seen those little bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And that's a, that would be the test of citizenship. What, what would Jesus do? How would he react? If he were in your situation, how would, how would he react? How would he handle it? Are you handling it the way Jesus would handle it, worthy of the gospel? So character balances on the scales with the weight of the gospel. So we're united in mission, partners in the gospel. We're united in conduct, we are adorning the gospel. And thirdly, we need to be united in attitude like athletes in competition or like soldiers in battle. We need to be united in spirit. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. He's talking about standing and living united as believers in Jesus Christ. And you think about it. Unity is not something we can ever create. Unity is not something we can ever organize. It's only there because we are united with Jesus, united with the Holy Spirit. Other people are united with that same Spirit, and that's what can. The same Spirit that lives in me and unites me to Christ is the same Spirit that lives in you and unites you to Christ. And the commonality of the Spirit is what makes us united in Christ. It's our responsibility to live out that unity. That was not happening at the church at Philippi. And the Apostle Paul addresses it on numerous occasions. He, he'll address it uh, in the next chapter. He'll address it in the last chapter. He'll address that in, in numerous occasions. He did the same thing at the church at Ephesus. Let me just read a couple of verses out of Ephesians 4. I therefore, the same thing, a prisoner of the Lord, just like he was here, urge you to walk in a manner weighty, worthy, weighty of the calling to which you've been called. Then he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of, of peace. So Christ, uh, Christ 
is not the author of disunity. He's not the author of discord or division or strife. And so he, in, in his epistles, he constantly addresses and appeals to being united in spirit. Secondly, united in soul. We need to be one masuke, one-souled, or one mind. Now, you could say that we, as a church, are one life-principled. And folks, there is a huge difference between unity and uniformity. All you need for uniformity is the lack of negative votes, and you have uniformity. That is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. You can achieve uniformity in many different ways. You can achieve uniformity by manipulation. You can achieve uniformity by payoffs. You can achieve uh, uniformity by intimidation. Or you can achieve uniformity just by, I don't care, just the attitude of indifference. But to be together sold, to, to be one sold, one mind is to be in homothubanon one accord it's not just that we're don't have negative votes it's that we are really one-hearted one life principled one sold one mission one of one objective that's what we are and that's what the church is to be and, and i challenge you whenever you go through the book of acts look and read through the book of Acts, and whenever you see that the church was in one accord, or one soul, one mind, one accord, in the next verse or two, you'll see, and the Lord added greatly those that were being saved. You always see multiplication when you see that the church was in one heart, one soul, one mind. So united in spirit and in soul, and thirdly, and in strategy, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Uh, the athletes were sitting over here the last hour, and I see, there's that word. That's where we get our word athlete from. Soon athleo, to, to, together, striving together. Soon athleo, our word athlete. And when Paul was talking to the church at Philippi, again, 75% of the people in that town were Roman soldiers, and, and immediately they think in their mind of the Roman phalanx. Uh, it's very tight ranks, tight columns, 250 soldiers. You have, we would have the first, the first rank would be these massive shields, and then the next five ranks you would have, you would have 14-foot swords. And they were so long they would rest them on the shoulders the shoulder of the soldier in front of them. And they would march forward, these swords pointed forward, tight ranks, 250, and it would just scare the death out of anybody a Roman phalanx uh, would, would face. That's what he, that was the picture of them. Look, you be united. You be moving together in one front, one accord, one mind, one soul. Now, you know, not many of us have ever served in an army that would fight like that, but we could think perhaps of a, of a laser versus a light bulb. You take a light bulb, uh, the same number of photons being emitted as a laser, the difference is you could put a light bulb right next to a piece of steel, the piece of steel might get a little warm, but you take those same photons, and those photons out of a light bulb, they're just going every which way, they're bumping into each other, Everybody, every photon's just doing their own thing, just off having fun. And, and there's maybe just a teeny bit of heat, maybe they might warm up the, the piece of steel, but if you can get them marching in the same direction, get all those photons moving in the same direction, man, you can cut right through that piece of steel. That's what he's saying uh, for the church. That's what we need to be. And when you do that, 
then there is no need to be terrified without being terrified in any way by adversaries. You march like that together as a church, there's no need to be terrified. It's the only time that that word is used in the Greek New Testament, and it's a word that is used of, of un, like an uncontrollable stampede of horses. Um, uh, just don't be terrified. It's, it's horses that might see a snake and just stampede off in the other direction. Now, the cosmos, the world and its system, is out to destroy one thing. If the, if the world, if the devil and the world can, and our own flesh can just destroy the unity of a church, it's destroyed the mission. It's, it's because the unity, it's because unity, not uniformity, Anybody can get uniformity. Anybody can get the absence of negative votes. But if you can get uni real unity, heart, mind, soul, everything striving in the same direction, you get that, and I'll tell you what, it's a supernatural testimony with supernatural power. And the result of that will result in the testimony of either either judgment or salvation, one or the others. It'll have, it'll have people coming to Christ or running from Christ. The Apostle Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And he says, this is what we are. We are an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And we're also a smell to those who are perishing. To one, to those who are perishing, we're a fragrance from death to death, but the other, ah, a fragrance from life to life. So whatever you do, live like a citizen of heaven, worthy of the gospel, weighty along with the gospel of Christ. Don't be terrified. Stand firm in the gospel, united, and we will prevail for the glory of God. So we are to be united in our mission, no doubt about it. Partners in the gospel, we're to be united in our conduct, adorning the very gospel of God. We're to be united in our attitude like athletes in competition, like soldiers in battle, and we're to be united in suffering like a follower of Christ. Verse 29 is a hard verse for a lot of people. It's one that we don't expect. It's one we, we would rather not have in the Bible. It's one that's overlooked frequently. It says, for it has been granted. It has been gifted. You want a gift from Jesus? Oh, win the lottery. No, that's not what he says here. It has been gifted to you that for the sake of Christ, oh, this is going to be great. This is really going to be good. It's been a gift for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, oh, yeah, that's great, but let's get on to the better part, but also that you should suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw and I had and now hear that I still have. So remember, the Apostle Paul is circling around his life purpose. He just, he just so much, and everything about him, he wants to honor God in his body. He wants to magnify God. He wants to exalt Christ. He, he, that's what he wants. And so for, for him to live, it's just Jesus. That's, that's his, his deal. And as Doug pointed out last week, and then we'll get to the next chapter, and he says, everything else, Everything else is just, is just dung. Everything else is dung. That's, that's what, he, what Paul told Timothy. Don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Hey, if you're a soldier for God, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. It'll distract you from what God created you for. He says that I might 
know him in the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but Jeff, I read that little four spiritual law book too. And I, I, I still remember law one, for God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he really does. He really does more than you would ever know that he has a wonderful plan for your life. The, the problem is, in our mindset, we define wonderful one way and Jesus defines wonderful a different way. Because wonderful in his definition can also include the lenses that bring glory to him. Circumstances, crisis, conflict, and now we see suffering as well. But, but, but Jeff, I thought abundant life. I mean, I really like those preachers I hear on TV that talk about if you become a believer, you're going to be happy, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy. I like that message. Oh, I, I do too. I think it sounds really good. But that's not really the message you hear from the Bible in its totality. Because what we also find out is through other lenses, we can bring glory to God in far, far more powerful ways. Through blessing? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But also through other lenses. So we have been granted for his sake to even go through sufferings. And I think, let me just help you understand how that can be um, part of your life. Uh, first of all, I think we need to really see that suffering really can be a privilege in our lives. So I, I've asked John Sawinski, I said, hey, John, can you help me out? I, I want to illustrate this. And um, if you can come, here he is. And so what I'd like for you to think in your mind is on a keyboard, you have, you have white keys, you have black keys on a keyboard. And the, the black keys tend to be the, the, I don't know if these words are right, the minor notes, the... Well, they're the half steps in between, so... Okay. So... So what, what, whatever. <laughs> Wait, aren't you married to a musician? What was that? You're married to a musician, right? I know I'm married. <laughs> I could have Cheryl, where is she? Oh, there she is back there. Hey, honey, come on up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so I want you just to, for the sake of an illustration, I want you to think of, of the, let's just say the, 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 the black keys would be those half steps, the minor keys, the, the, the discord, the, Think of that as being the maybe the trials, the tribulations, the sufferings that we go through, and the, the white keys, every, you know, this, the sun's out, everything's happy, fun, glorious, and all that. But there are only very few things you can play with just white keys. And with just the white keys, it just really doesn't sound that full, that beautiful. Give us an illustration of that. Right, so uh, everybody knows the song, Jesus Loves Me. So I'm going to play that. I'll do the verse just using the white keys, and then I'll use some extended chords which kind of stretch out and use the black keys for the chorus so um, Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong they are weak but he is strong so it's all the white keys yes Jesus loves me Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. 
So we all, we all love when everything goes hunky-dory, everything goes right, we only make A's on papers, we only win games, we never lose games, we always get a base hit, we never strike out. You know, Jesus loves me and this I know, and every, as long as everything's hunky-dory, everything's great, but I'll tell you what, it's when, when God adds those, those other notes, the, the tough circumstances, the, the, the sufferings, the difficulties, all of a sudden our life takes on a depth and a beauty and a majesty that, that, that we can reflect all to the glory of God that would never be possible had God not designed not just the blessings and the praise, but also the, very, the difficulties in life as well. And those are all gifted to us for his sake. So it's a privilege. Just real quickly, suffering also proves that we're Christians. It, it help, helps to prove that we're Christians. If the world hated you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. It's been granted, that verse in verse 29. It's, it's gifted to you for the sake of Christ. Indeed, all those who desire to live godly, uh, godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it helps us there. Uh, also, it helps understand that others are experiencing the same kind of thing. That's what Paul talks about in verse 30. You're engaged in the same... Um, Agony. Agony. You're, 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 in, you're going through the same agony that I'm going through, that you saw, and I still have. And the beautiful thing about it, it helps me to grow in Christ and depend on Christ, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them, not only of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Or Philippians 3, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. So you remember the background to Philippians, and I want to transition to communion. Uh, in Acts 16, the Philippians had seen Paul go through an awful lot of conflict. And so he and Silas, you know, in the, the whole prison deal. And so they saw him in agony. They saw him in agona, or agonia. And it's the exact same word that is used of Christ when he, in Luke, Luke chapter 22, verse 44, on the cross that he suffered in agony, uh, agony on the cross. And uh, this refers to this hostile uh, opposition Paul and Silas faced while they were in prison at Philippi in Acts 16. Um, also, Paul faces while he's in prison in Rome. You see that in Romans 12 to 18 as well. And I think perhaps maybe the greatest and most effective lens that we could ever use to exalt Christ would be some of these, the minor notes, you know, the, the black keys, the, the yes, the praise, those things, but, but also the circumstances and the criticisms and the crises and, and the suffering. Um, what a wonderful opportunity for us as believers to be that lens that others get to see Jesus, all of Jesus, when, when, the man, when the citizenship of our life, the manner of our life, uh, is worthy of the gospel. And that when we, as Paul said earlier, can exalt, honor, magnify Christ in our bodies, especially when we go through those difficult times. And, and for those of us, many people who watch us go through those difficult times, uh, we will be a sweet-smelling aroma. But to others, when they look at that, it will, it will be the stench of death. And communion really is just an opportunity to reflect and to remember who Jesus is, what Jesus did for us, 
and by doing so gives us an example of how we too can live for him. He agonized on the cross for us and as followers of Christ. He has gifted us with the same wonderful opportunities to glorify God and to show the world that we are adorned. Not only do we have the lips to proclaim, but also our conduct and lives are adorned with the gospel of grace. Well, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask the ushers. Well, you can come up as I pray. And I'm going to pray, and then we'll take communion together. It's designed for believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate. We'll pass both elements, retain both. We'll take them uh, together. But if you don't know Jesus, I'd love to give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in him as well. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for salvation, which is ours. How glorious it is to be united in a common mission, to be a partner in the gospel, how wonderful it is to defend the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, but also, Lord, for our lives to be adorned in such a way with the gospel that we get to be as a church united in our conduct like good citizens of heaven. And I pray that we would also as a church be united in our attitude, that we would be one spirit and one soul and have one strategy so that our only thing is that our manner of life is worthy, weighty on the scales with the gospel. Oh God, may it never be that the gospel so outweights our life that we become a distraction rather than a finger pointing to the gospel. The world around needs to see a living, resurrected Christ, and our prayer is that it will be a, that our lives will be a sweet-smelling aroma uh, to the world as people look at Parkview Church. That together, together, not independently, but together that we would be a tremendous draw uh, for Jesus. God, prepare our hearts now. If you're here and you know Jesus and there's something that you need to confess to God, uh, you might want to do that right now. Maybe are you the test of citizenship? Are you living the kind of life that would bring glory uh, to Jesus Christ? Is your life, the manner of your life, weighty and worthy of the gospel? You might want to confess if there's an area that you're struggling with. And if you're not here as a believer this morning, today, I just want to beg you to call upon his name to confess your sin of self-sufficiency and to proclaim your need for Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You might just want to say something simple like this, Jesus, I don't have what you've called me to. Uh, please, I, I want to ask you to come into my life to forgive me of all my sin. I need you so much. I want to put my faith, my trust in you as, as much as I know how, and then I just want to yield to you step by step to make me a little bit more like you every single day. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.